This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We ask that your spirit uh, dwell with us and, and let your presence be felt in us today. Lord, teach us, teach me, even as I preach, Lord, I want to be open to whatever it is you have to say. Lord, I uh, ask that you remove the enemy's power and influence over us. Today, let us hear your word and your truth and light, Lord, and and we love you so much, and we're thankful for all you've given us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, big question. Who are you? Think about it. It's a big question, right? How often have you considered this one? Who are you? Or let me rephrase it so you can think about it for yourself. Who am I? You can give your name. You can tell me what your job title is maybe. But even those things are kind of just a fraction of what makes you who you are. And this is why that's critical. Let me go to my first point here. This is why knowing the answer to who am I is so important because knowing who you are guides what you do. What I'm doing right now is just kind of laying down a foundation of what we're going to talk about. But keep this in mind. Who am I? And the reason that's important is because knowing who you are guides what you do. I remember uh, maybe 10 years ago, I was making a lot of dumb, consistently dumb decisions in my life over and over and over. I had this guy who I looked up to. who was kind of like a mentor of mine, and he taught me a lot, um, taught me a lot about scripture and about faith. And he was sitting with me, and he was talking to me about probably another mess up that I had done, something, another mistake I'd made or a sin I committed. He was really frustrated with me because it just kept happening over and over. It was like I was just kind of going through life blindly, and so he's sitting with me. He was talking to me. He was very frustrated. It was a very firm conversation. And he, and he asked me this question that stayed with me. Now, it's almost been, like I said, it's almost been 10 years. It stayed with me. And I think the reason it stayed with me is because I didn't have an answer for it. And in his frustration, he said, Anthony, what do you want? What do you want? And I had no idea. I had no idea what I wanted. And I think the reason I had no idea what I wanted because I didn't know who I was. I called myself a believer. I called myself a Christian. I went to church. In fact, during that conversation, I was actually working at the church, but I didn't really know who I was. I didn't know who my, what my identity was. And when you don't know what your identity is, then the actions that get produced or the thoughts that come out of your mind or the words that you speak are very flippant. It's almost like your identity is very blurred and foggy in your own mind, so you're not stabilized, right? You don't know who you really are, so you're just kind of walking through life, and whatever happens, you just kind of respond to. I mean, I can't be the only one, right? I mean, yeah, you guys know what's up. You guys know what's up. It is crucial to know the answer, who am I? Now, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to switch to Southpaw stance. So you guys are like, what are you talking about? You know how people say, like, I'm shifting gears? I don't drive stick shifts, so I'm not going to say I'm, I'm shifting gears. But I box, so I'm going to go Southpaw on you guys right now, okay? Just means I'm changing it up. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. That has nothing to do with the sermon. <laughs> Oy vey. 
but I'm going southpaw anyways, okay? So I'm going to pull away from the individualism because God does that. God in Scripture doesn't tend to focus on individuals, and even when he does, it's like King David, Noah, Jonah, Paul, all those guys, and many, many more. When he hones in on one person, it's really the context is in light of what he's doing in all of his people. So that's what I want to do now. Even though I started out by saying, hey, who are you? I really want to pull back and say, who are we as the church? And we have to remember why that's critical Because knowing who we are guides what we do. This is my concern. My concern is that the church historically, let's just, let's hone it down, not across all the world, but just in our country. I think the church has an identity issue. Historically and even up until today. We have forgotten who we are, and this is how you can tell because you can look at our actions. What kind of actions does the unified church in America produce? What do you see that lets you know, okay, God is working through these people? Now, let's be honest. It could just be me. But when I look and consider how the church has responded to things throughout our nation's history, it hasn't been very good. But again, that's, maybe that's just me. But I don't see a group of people who really know who they are. What I see is a group of people who are acting just like I was 10 years ago when my mentor had to sit me down and ask me what I wanted to do. And this is what happens. We get pulled in all these different directions. And by we, I'm talking about the church now. I'm not talking about everyone, just the church. We get pulled in all these different directions. Here's one of the bigger directions that we get pulled. It's kind of what I call the old or former lie or the former sin of our of our country specifically it's this idea of a utopia so there's the secluded or the isolated type you get a small group of people maybe i think amish people right they kind of live by themselves they do their own thing they follow their own rules that's not really what i'm talking about when i say utopia the leaning for the church to go into this lie is the idea that hey if we can run the system if we can maybe get the right politicians in place or have the right influences for our culture or society, then we can control this whole thing. We can uh, shape everything and and have everything shift and move just the way we want it to so that everyone, whether they agree with our beliefs or not, they have to follow our rules because the law says so. And even if it's not the law, cultural sway is going to put that peer pressure on them to say, no, 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 you need to fall in line. You need to do exactly what we need to do. You need to follow this Christian thing that we're all about. That's that utopian thing that I'm talking to. So when we look at our country's history, that's what we see, right? We see that, hey, we're the big dogs on top. We're the ones controlling it. And yet we look at the fruit and the action of what was produced throughout our history, and it hasn't been very good. But before we look at our modern day and age and think, oh, we're killing it now. It's not like that anymore. That's not, we've leaned, the pendulum has swung way to the other side. And this is what I mean, is now, instead of uh, the church, again, knowing who we are, knowing what what the mission is that we're called to, um, now we're afraid to rock the boat. We're not wanting to ruffle any feathers. So this is the image I have in my mind. Oh, by the way, this is my Holy Spirit rag. If I use it, you guys are in trouble. Just to let you guys know. I don't, I don't know why I said that. I just, oh, boy. 
Oy vey. So this is the image I get, okay, of the, what I call the newer sin of our culture, of the not rocking the boat. So picture this giant grizzly bear, and he's kind of like, you know, lumbering through this mud, and he leaves his giant grizzly bear paw prints in the mud, and he keeps walking. Now, a couple minutes later, you got this smaller teenage grizzly bear walking, and he finds the paw prints, and he says, oh, I want to walk in those prints. And so he puts his paw in, and it's much smaller than the big bear's print, and he keeps walking it. So what he does is wherever that big bear went, now that teenage bear just kind of follows because he wants a match, you know, paw print for paw print. It feels like the church kind of does that, meaning like, hey, if the popular opinion is to support this or that or believe this, the church is like, okay, me, me too then. Me too, right? I do. Yeah, don't, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not going to cause any issues with you. I agree too, not wanting to rock the boat. That's what I call the newer lie. So we have the former lie, trying to get power, control the system, create a utopian Christian society, and then the newer lie of, hey, let them lead let them lead, and we'll just follow. Whatever footsteps you guys go uh, build, we're just going to walk in those footsteps. And this is what happens. This is why this is all bad, is because that divides the church. Because there might be many of us in this very room right now who lean towards the older way. We think, hey, Christians need to be in power. We need to control the structures and system of things. We need to have everyone doing what we believe is right. But then there's a Maybe another branch of people in this room that says, hey, I don't, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to tell anyone they're wrong or even come close to saying that. I'm just going to, whatever the, the popular thing is, I'm just going to follow, fall in line, subject myself to that. And we have a divided church. When we have a divided church, we have no idea what we're called to. We don't know who we are anymore. We forgot. And that brings me, I got to get used to this clicker. That brings me to this. When the church has forgotten its identity, injustice prevails. So when we forget who we are, injustice flourishes in our culture. We have to keep that in mind. What I want to do is tell you a quote of a man who during his life experienced all kinds of grave injustices. And what he saw, which is the point I'm trying to make right now, is he saw that the church forgot who she was, and started becoming ineffective in this man's day. So here it is. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ, but oh, how we have blemished and scarred that body through social neglect and through fear of being nonconformists. There was a time when the church was very powerful, in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, get this part, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven, called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. 
They were too, this is my favorite part, they were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. If you've never been intoxicated, neither have I. I don't know. That's never happened in my life. But being God-intoxicated, get out of here, right? Let me read that part again because I love, I love that part. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide, and gladiatorial contests. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. The man who said this is Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in jail in Birmingham. The church is so wrapped up in a false identity because we haven't taken the time to answer the question, who are we as a church? And because of that, we're pulled in all of these Two diff- these multiple di- different directions, mostly these two big ways. The old lie of a utopia and the new lie of just not wanting to rock the boat. And we want to pursue Christ, but it's like we have one hand on this thing, this sin that's completely embedded into darkness. And we want to pursue Christ. We want to pursue unity, but we're unwilling to let go of that way, whether it's the new lie or the old lie. And we're divided because of it, we, we've lost our saltiness. I'm not saying you guys have lost your saltiness. I'm saying what I've observed in our church in this country at large, okay? I'm, I'm thinking bigger picture. But we have to be mindful because we're part of that big church, that capital C church. So here's our aim for today. Okay, this is the goal. Knowing all this, knowing that there's, uh-oh, I broke a communion cup. So let's get that out of the way there. I'm not trying to be funny, guys. I'm just really good at it, so it just kind of happens. Anyways, back to Jesus stuff. This is our, I promise you, I'm not trying to be silly. I promise. Okay, this is our aim, okay? Keeping in mind, who are we? And because we haven't really considered the answer to that question, it's produced division in the church, and it's run rampant and caused all kinds of sin and injustices throughout the history of our nation. So here's our aim. Our aim for today is to peer into the glory of Christ so our minds and hearts are elevated above the noises and distractions of our culture so we are once again stirred up to be, as Martin Luther King stated, disturbers of the peace as a colony of heaven rather than chameleons of our culture. So what we're going to do right now is we are going to read Ephesians 3 together. So if you would, please stand as we honor God's word. You stand, I'll read 1 through 6. You guys are the most quiet standers on earth, by the way. Here we go. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, excuse me, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, all I'm going to do is walk through this small passage, and I'm going to show you how God is giving us a response to the question of who are we. So verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. If we rewind all the way back to Ephesians 1, he started out by saying, I'm an apostle. So he's telling us that God has taken Paul from his position as a Pharisee slash murderer and given him a higher status of an apostle. Hey, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't get any higher than an apostle. That's one of the boys. And God took Paul out of his sin and elevated all the way to the top. But for the world, from a worldly perspective, it looks backwards because Paul clarifies in chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, well, to the world, I'm really a prisoner because he was in jail when he wrote this letter. He's saying, I'm, I'm a prisoner for Christ, for you Gentiles. So he clarifies, hey, I'm an apostle, but this is what that looks like. It means I'm in chains on your behalf. That's what God does. Brings me to my next point. And I'm kind of Jack and Wayne on this one because he preached the whole message on it last week. So thank you for uh, your inspiration, sir. God puts us at the highest level of privilege, the highest. If you didn't know it, when God saves us, he seats us with Christ presently. The highest level of privilege so that we may use that privilege to serve to the greatest capacity in humility. So God elevates our status in the kingdom of God so that the, in the earthly realm, we can be used as greater levels of servant. I don't even know if I said that right. Hope you guys got it, though. Elevates us, right? Kingdom of God, but we're used. And then what happened to Paul? He was killed. That's where God led him. He gave him this high position, but that looks completely backwards in the eyes of the worldly standard. And we can consider all the other apostles as well. What happened to them? God elevated them from these men who weren't educated. They didn't have any kind of status. He made them apostles, and then he took them to death because they devoted their lives to the mission of God. So here's a question to consider. What are you a prisoner of? Paul said he's a prisoner on behalf of Christ for the Gentiles. So my question to you, to us, is what are you a prisoner of? The world or Christ? And that's just kind of the world and Christ. There might be a lot of little offshoots, but those are the two big things, right? You can either be the world or the Christ. Here's a hint. You can't, can't do both. Can't be a prisoner to the world and a prisoner to Christ. Let's read verses 2 through 4 again. You don't have to stand. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So this is what Paul's doing here, right? Uh-oh, here comes the Holy Spirit. 
This is what Paul's doing here. He is making it clear to these Gentiles who are reading this letter, I'm not the one in charge here. These words aren't coming from my mind. It's not like Paul's in a room somewhere like this visionary creating a mission statement. Hey, what's going to happen to the church in 5, 10, 20 years? He's not doing that. He's relying on the Spirit entirely. He's telling these Ephesian believers, you get that these words are from a heavenly source, right? You get that this is not coming from me, but it's coming from the Spirit of God, right? You get that. And this is the reason he wants them to believe it, because during, I'm getting a little history lesson, during this time frame, the Jewish people were really God's people. They were the top dogs. They thought they were going to inherit the kingdom, and that was it. But Paul was pulling curtains back slowly here, and he wants the Gentiles to hear a new mystery that's about to be revealed for them. It's not a fairy tale. This is truth. Here's my second point. The beauty of the gospel and its work in the world is carried along by the Spirit of God. Remember, this is Paul saying, hey, you got to believe me. It's not for me. By the Spirit of God through his people. And the work of God is reconciliation. That's a restoration of what once was, so restoring what was broken. And conciliation, which is a bringing together what was never united. Because there are things in this world that have never known unity that God is bringing together. So here's, a, here's something to consider. Whenever somebody says, hey, I'm coming on behalf of God, I'm coming in Jesus' name, you have to look at the fruit. And this is what I mean. Do you see redemption or restoration, reconciliation or conciliation in that person's life? Because anybody can come to you and say, hey, God's called me to do this and God's called me to do that. That's one of my pet peeves. Using God's name in vain to say, hey, this is what I feel like God's leading me to do this. Has nothing to do with redemption. Has nothing to do with reconciliation. Has nothing to do with his mission. It's just what they want to do, but it's very easy to say, oh, God wants me to do it too. He told me in a prayer. If you want to know the truth, look at their fruit because the fruit will betray your words. And that's happened historically too. Let's look at history for a second. A lot of people saying, hey, this is what the church, and if you've ever read those, those old-time American preachers, man, those guys knew a lot about the word. They knew a lot. But what about the fruit? Because last time I checked, slavery was running rampant during those times. And there was silence the fruit will betray your words. It betrayed their words, and it will betray ours. If you're doing the true work of God, your spirit empowered, just like Paul, he clarified, it's not from me, but God, you have to keep that in mind. This ain't my work. This is God's work. And the proof of that was, what am I about? What do you see? Reconciliation and conciliation. Here's a little question to consider. How are we, let's hone it down just to Alhambra. How is Alhambra promoting the reconciling power of Christ as a family? Let me read that again. How is Alhambra promoting the reconciling power of Christ as a family? I can think of a few ways, but it's something to consider. Verse 5, here we go. We're starting to get to the, the, the good stuff, okay? Um, has anyone ever seen Step Up, the dance movie? Okay, so I was at work uh, one day. Hey, my nephew. Good to see you, buddy. Sorry. Excited to see him. Um, there I go again. Crazy Anthony. 
Um, so I, I was at work one Wednesday during the week. Step Up 3D had come out like four or five weeks before, but I was like, I have to see Step Up 3, 3D. I have to see it. And so I got off work and I went to a movie theater. I think it was in El Miraz or Surprise, maybe the border of those two areas. It wasn't AMC. It wasn't uh, Harkins. And I'm the only person there. It's 1030 at night. Step Up 3D is about to come on, and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, I got the good spot. What I, mean, what I mean by the good spot is not the front section, but the back section, first row, so I could put my feet up on the bar, you know what I mean? Do this thing, but with my feet. I was all set up, had my popcorn, had my soda, about to watch Step Up 3D, and all of a sudden, this teenage boy walks out in front of me, directly in front of me, maybe three or four feet, and he starts out by saying, Welcome to the theater, and we're going to watch Step Up 3D brought to you by, and I'm like, whoa, I'm like, hey, dude, it's just me in this theater. Like, you don't have to do it. And he, like, looked around. He's like, my manager might be watching, so I have to finish. <laughs> and instead of just starting where he left off, he just, like, that kid from Up, he just, like, starts all over again. He's like, welcome to the theater. You're about to watch Step Up 3D in 3D. And I was like, right on. And he walked off. No energy, by the way, for sure get a new job because, you know, if you're going to do it, put some heart into it. He walks off, and I'm like, oh, this is super awkward. But I was even more excited to watch Step Up 3D after that. It felt so official. It was like this kid comes out. He introduces it. I'm about to go southpaw on you guys. That's what Paul is saying in verse 5. So let me read verse 5. Which was not made known to the sons of men, in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. I also watched UFC, and during the main event, the big fight that everyone's there to watch, there's this guy, Bruce Buffer, who comes out. He just like he looks real sharp in his suit, and he goes, it's time! And the whole crowd goes bananas, and they're saying it after him. I'm in my living room like, oh, it's time! I'm like going crazy, and, he's, and now I'm like, oh, i got to watch this fight. Paul's doing that now. He's trying to tell us that, look, there's these big giant curtains behind me. Those curtains are about to come wide open. I'm going to show you something new right now. The mystery of God that's been hidden for ages is about to be revealed to you right now. He's setting us up just like Bruce Buffer. Verse 6, here it is. This is the culmination of what Paul's trying to get to. He's already said it. That's the crazy part, and he's going to say it again here. But you have to keep this in mind. Do not forget what we've already talked about today. Okay, knowing who we are and what happens to the church when we forget, which is injustices prevail. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the big reveal. That's the ta-da moment. The currents fly open. You know what I think the tendency is, though? Even though God showed us for all ages, even angels long to look into these things. He tells us this in the scripture, which has been revealed for thousands of years. We hear that, and it's like, okay, that's, that's the reveal? What happened? Where's the, where's the, oh, my God, you know, clapping. Think about, like, when something happened, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is starting. Whatever it might be, Super Bowl, your kids play, whatever, wherever you lose your mind and go crazy, Paul's trying to get us there. We hear it, and it's like, is that, that's it? That's the, the big reveal? So I think this is what's happening. 
I mean, if you're anything like me, okay, I'm thinking Christmas. This is why I think Christmas is so popular. I don't think it's so much the gifts, even though, hey, getting gifts are cool. Uh, like this last Christmas, my wife hooked me up with an iPad. When I say she hooked me up with an iPad, I mean she used my money to, uh, and it's funny because Dana corrected me to her, but privately she goes, hey, his money is your money too. She's right. She's right. Yeah. But anyways, she got me an iPad. I loved it. I opened it up. I was super excited. But I, something happened after it was opened. It was no longer a mystery, right? I opened up the wrapping. I saw what it was. I loved it. But then this little bit of sadness creeped into my heart. And I don't know why. I have a theory, though. I think the way God made us is to have this question mark in our soul that we want answered. It's like the moment we start thinking for ourselves, we start searching for an answer to this question that we don't have an answer to. And so people will do all kinds of things to find that answer, right? They'll maybe go out and just have sex, do drugs, uh, addictions, even other things that are social, socially acceptable, like entertainment, food, appearance. Um, nowadays, it's kind of like an oxymoron the way it's said, but um, it's a corporate, it's a corporate, I, don't, I forget how I worded it, like a corporate push for self-inflation is kind of our new thing, right? Corporately, we're like encouraging each other to inflate ourselves, Basically, and if you look at Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, that's what we're doing. We're just inflating ourselves over and over and over and over. And then all around, we're encouraging, hey, do that, post this, post that. We're just encouraging a corporate sense of, of self-inflation. And what I think we're trying to do is we're trying to get that, that mystery in our heart answered. Here's the thing. God's already revealed it. God's already shown us. He's already answered the question to who we are. There's no more mystery. We are God's people, Jew and Gentile united. That means that in this room right now, a black man and a white man can sit together and worship God, and they are brothers and united under faith in Christ. That was not possible before. In our, in our own American history, that wasn't possible because the church forgot who it was. The band can go ahead and come out now. We don't define unity. God does. Unity is Jew and Gentile becoming one new man. For us nowadays, that's all the races. I look around, I see all different shades and colors. That means in heaven, every single tongue imaginable, every single skin shade imaginable is going to be alongside me worshiping God together. That's the kingdom. That's the big reveal. And that's how we know who we are. If you're living in light of any other truth, then you're outside the will. You have a blurred sense of identity, not just of self, but of the church. And we can't live on mission, and we can't have any kind of effect. We can't respond to any type of injustice if we don't know who we are. And this is who we are, a united people worshiping God together. This is the answer that the gospel gives. So I have one last thing, and we'll do communion. There's a, an encounter that Jesus has with a, a rich guy. Some of you guys might be familiar with this, right? Jesus, uh, he's doing his thing. He's teaching and preaching and, 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 you know, working miracles. And this guy comes up, this rich guy, and he says, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? 
and Jesus goes through the commandments, and the guy says, hey, I've kept all those since I was a little kid. I'm all good. And Jesus says, all right, all right. Well, you're rich, so why don't you sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and then your bank account in heaven is going to go through the roof, and then come follow me. And it says that the rich guy walked away, and he was sad, and, and Jesus goes on to say, hey, man, rich people have a tough time getting into the kingdom. little side note, compared to the rest of history, even in America back, we're all pretty rich. It's, it's important to keep that in mind, okay? Jesus says, man, it's tough for rich people to get to heaven. But here's something I think is missed. Um, we have to consider the context of what was taking place when that guy walked up to Jesus. Just before that guy walked up and asked Jesus that question, Jesus was hanging out with kids. It says all these kids were coming up to Jesus and the disciples were trying to block him. Jesus says, don't stop the kids from coming to me. Let them come. Let them come. And he's hanging out. And I, I think we picture Jesus as very stoic kind of character, you know, like very serious, you know, um, like always has a hoodie on over his eyes and things like that. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Jesus is like rubbing, you know, he's wrestling with them and he's playing with them. He's high-fiving. He's having a good time, right? He's blessing these kids and he's looking around. He goes, this is it. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is the way a person, the way these kids are encountering me and reacting with me. This is what it looks like for a person to inherit eternal life, which is strange because right in that context is when the rich man comes up and says, hey, what about me? And I imagine Jesus looking at him saying, Dude, I just answered your question. You see these kids, how they're interacting with me, how they're receiving me, is how you inherit eternal life. But the man couldn't see it. So I think Jesus' words to him, when, he, when he's saying, hey, sell all your stuff and give it to the poor, I don't, I don't think he was addressing the man's greed so much as he was saying, okay, you really want to know? These are the things that are restricting you from having a childlike faith. Let's get rid of those things. So now, bringing that into what we were talking about. Who are we? We are God's people. God has united all of us into his family. He opens the floodgates of grace for every single person to be part of his kingdom and enjoy him forever and give him praises forever, which we will do. We can't, we can't forget our identity. But how do we get that? How do we get that, that unity that God has already attained? And I believe it's through childlike faith. Have you ever seen a group of like three or four-year-olds playing together? There's no measurement for who's the coolest or most popular and all, you know, who has the most stuff. They're just running around like crazy, just laughing and having a good time. God wants us to have this childlike faith, and that's how we attain the unity that he's called us to and get reminded of who we are as a people, because if we forget, injustices will prevail. Does that bother you? Does division even matter to you? If it doesn't, that's a flag. That should be a flag in your heart. I honestly don't care about those things, but you want to call yourself a believer, there's a, a tension that has to be dealt with there. Because a true son or daughter of God cares about the unity of his people, the unity of all of God's people, and strives for it. And it's not going to be found by more education. It's not going to be found by more debates. The way we get that unity is going to be through childlike faith, pursuing Christ, 
with that heart. Right now, we're going to open up the tables for communion, which means that we're going to celebrate and remember what Christ has done for us that has even given us access to the Father. That's even that big reveal showing that we're all united as God's people. That's not even possible without what Jesus did on the cross by paying for our sins. And that's what we're remembering. When we take the juice, we're remembering the the blood that Jesus spilt on the cross to cleanse us. And when we take the cracker, we're remembering the body that he broke as a sacrifice to us. So the one thing I ask before you come forward and you take of the juice and you take of the cracker, keep in mind and ask God to give you a childlike faith, not give you more knowledge, not teach you, okay, what, what can I do to get this unity? But to know it's already been given, just receive it like a child. So remember that tables are open. Come forward. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.